name is Michael Tuck, and I'm the associate pastor here at Bacon's Castle Baptist Church. We are a local church in Surrey, Virginia, dedicated to making disciples of Jesus Christ. This is the weekly podcast that we put out for our local church family and the church as a whole. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. There's a story told of a young man who went to a farmer. He was interested in the farmer's daughter. daughter. He actually wanted to marry her. He said, can I marry your daughter? The farmer looked him up and down and said, well, I tell you what, I got three bulls and I'm going to let them out of the barn. If you grab one of them by the tail, he said, you can marry my daughter. So the man went, the young man went and stood in front of the barn doors. The barn doors opened out, came the first bull. It was the biggest bull he'd ever seen. He said, man, there can't be a bull bigger than that. And he said, I'll wait for the next one. He jumped out of the way and the bull went on out into the pasture. So he got back in spot again and the doors opened and the second bull came out. And this bull was, I mean, the meanest, biggest, snortness bull he'd ever seen. And he said, man, that third bull cannot be bigger than this guy. And he jumped out of the way and let the bull run by. He got back in place, and the farmer opened the door, and the third bull came out. And it was the scrawniest, weakest, sickliest bull he'd ever seen. And the boy thought to himself, all right, this is my bull. So he stayed his ground, and he was ready, and the bull came out running. And when the bull was about to go by, he got in place, and he jumped to grab the tail. But when the bull went by, the bull had no tail. (laughs) And so the boy had missed his opportunity. You know, today's text marks, if you would, maybe the end of Jesus' public ministry and the last opportunity that the people of Israel were going to have to hear Jesus. You remember Jesus said this. This is at the end of the text that Micah was looking at last week. While you have... Uh, while you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of the light. When Jesus has said these things, he departed and he hid himself from them. Jesus left where he went. We really don't know when he came back. We're really not sure. But as far as John's gospel is concerned, this is the end of Jesus' public ministry. From here on out, Jesus is going to be dealing with his disciples. He's going to be speaking to them. He's going to be speaking into their life. And in the resurrection, it seems like Jesus didn't make public appearances either. He appeared to his disciples and to the believers, as many as 500, I think it says, at one time. He appeared to a lot of them, but he didn't make public appearances to the lost, to those who did not believe in him. So if indeed this is Jesus' last sermon, this is the day the light went out for the Jews. This is God's judgment. God's drawing the curtain closed. The sun of righteousness is setting on the nation of Israel. Now, our text this morning, and by the way, I didn't mention this, but if you happen to be our guest, we're studying through the Gospel of John, and you happen to have come to this passage this morning. This is where we are. And we're at John chapter 12, verse 37. So if you have your Bible, let's let's read what happens next. Even though he, that is Jesus, had performed so many signs in their presence, they did not believe in him. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet who said, Lord, who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? This is why they were unable to believe because Isaiah also said, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts so that they would not see with their eyes or understand with their hearts and turn and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke about him. 
Now, John addresses a question that really ought to have risen in so many people's minds, and it was this. Why were the Jews not believing in Jesus when he had done so many miraculous things? Why would people not follow this man when he raises the dead, when he walks on water, when he feeds 5,000 people, when, when he raises Lazarus like he did, right? That's, that's, remember, that's, that's a big thing right now going on. Why would people not... In, follow Jesus? Why were the leaders not embracing him? It's the same question that's asked in Romans chapter 9 at the beginning of the chapter. You know, somebody asked the question, why is it that Israel is not following this Jesus? And the answer is the same both in Romans 9 and the answer is the same right here. And here's the answer. It's because God is hardening the Jews' heart so that they will not believe. I want to say it again. God is making them not believe. God is, God is judging them and hardening their heart. This is a judgment from God. And that is why the text says they are not believing. We first find this or see this in John chapter 6. In John chapter 6, Jesus is talking to a bunch of Jews who after having just been fed, you know, he just feeds the 5,000. They're still unbelieving. And Jesus says, no one comes to the Father unless the Father draws him. And the reason why nobody comes to the Father unless the Father drew them amongst the Jews to whom Jesus was speaking was because God was hardening them. And it was his judgment. And unless he, unless he drew them to himself, they would not come because he was already judging them. He was hardening their hearts. They wouldn't come. In Romans chapter 9, in this contrast that, that Paul makes, he, he compares the Jews to the Pharaoh. And he says, the Pharaoh, just like the Pharaoh hardened his heart, God hardens whomever he wishes. In this particular case, God is hardening the Jews. Numerous times it says, Pharaoh hardened his heart, Pharaoh hardened his heart, Pharaoh hardened his heart. But then the text turns and it begins to say, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. God hardened Pharaoh's heart. See, see, God was going to take it all the way to 10 plagues, and he wasn't going to let Pharaoh change his mind. Pharaoh had already made his decision by hardening his heart. And the Jews had done the same. They had hardened their hearts and hardened their hearts and hardened their hearts, and now God is hardening their hearts, hardening their hearts. And by the way, in John chapter 6, when it says that, that no one comes to the Father but the, but the Father draw them, who is, God, who is the Father drawing to himself? Well, let me tell you, he's drawing everyone who has already put their faith in God. He's drawing all the men and women who had by faith were following Jehovah, who were trusting in him. He is drawing them to Jesus. So they're coming to Jesus. So the Jesus says... My father has given me all that are his, all that are following him. And you can read about this judgment in John chapter 12, verse 32. Again, a verse from Micah's text last week. As for me, Jesus said, if I am lifted up, talking about his death, if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. So here Jesus is saying that after the cross, this hardening is going to be lifted. And not only is it going to be lifted, but God's going to draw all men, both Jews and Gentiles, to himself. But for now, God is hardening the Jews. He's hardening the Jews as, as a judgment. He's also hardening the Jews so as to take Jesus to the cross. There are really two biblical schools of thoughts in regard to men and the exercise of faith. Some believe that because of Adam's sin, God chose to create all men 
thereafter already hardened at birth, incapable of believing in Jesus. In this understanding of, of faith and, and hardening it all, this was the consequence that God promised Adam. Adam, if you sin, all of your children after you will be hardened from birth and incapable of believing in Jesus when he comes. Therefore, in this, in this way of thinking, God would have to choose some that he would draw, some that he would work on, some that he would bring because he had already hardened everyone from birth. The other school of thought is not that man is born incapable of believing, but rather that man grows, as he grows older, he's generally choosing to suppress the truth he knows, but the truth that he knows both in heart, because Romans tells us that God has put the knowledge of himself in every one of us. So he's choosing to harden that knowledge, but he's also choosing to harden himself to the knowledge that we see in all of creation. The Bible says that creation testifies to both the existence of God and his power. And and so men, as they grow older, they harden themselves to to that truth. And, uh, And as they harden themselves to that truth, as they suppress that truth, their heart becomes harder and harder. Now, what we see in the Jews here, now listen carefully, what we see in the Jews here is not just that they have suppressed the general revelation truth of the world itself. It's not just that they have suppressed the knowledge of God that's inside of each one of us. They have suppressed the very direct revelation of God because God has sent them prophets. God has sent them, his, God has spoken to them personally, audibly, so that they could hear. And they've had prophets throughout the generations. And they have continually chosen to harden themselves. And as they harden their hearts and they've hardened their hearts, now Jesus has come. And what John tells us is that God, as a judgment, is hardening their hearts so that they cannot believe. Not that they they, they won't believe, but they cannot believe. Verse 39, this is why they are unable to believe. Now, this is why Jesus said that you must come as a child. Why must you come as a child to Jesus? Because, you know, children are not hardened. They're not born hardened against God. You you know, statistically, that 95% of people come to Jesus by the age of 30 95% of us who say we follow Jesus come by the age of 30. Only 5% comes after that. Why is that? Well, it's because as you get older, if if you suppress the truth of God, you are hardening and hardening and hardening your heart so that by the time you get to be Virginia's age over there, Jenny's age over there, it is really hard for you to come to Christ. Jenny became a believer, I don't know how many years ago it was, but Jenny's an anomaly to what normally happens. Absolutely, praise the Lord. So, so, so this is why Jesus said, let the little children come to me. And by the way, you know, I wrote this down this morning as I was practicing. Parents, this is why it is so absolutely crucial that you invest spiritually in your children Man, I, I tell you, I put an article on our Facebook page for the church. I don't know if you read it. But guys, don't let baseball or hunting or anything else be the God of your children's lives. You lead them to follow and love Jesus so, so that when they become of age, they're following him because they know him because you've led them to him. And yes, I have a responsibility as a part of this family to lead your children, but you're the ultimate leader of your children. 
And I'm not telling you don't be involved in sports. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying to you is listen to what God says here. Look at what happens in history. Look at what happens in life. We grow calloused over time as we continue to harden our hearts. This is why it is so important that we invest in our children. It's why it's so important that from an early, early age, we're pouring into them and we're leading them to know Jesus. Look at verse 42. Nevertheless, many did, did believe in him, even though back in the first part that I just read you, God is intentionally hardening their hearts so that they will not believe. It's a judgment from God. Here it says, nevertheless, many did believe in him, even among the rulers. But because of the Pharisees, they, and I'm going to say that they as the rulers, did not confess him so that they would not be banned from the synagogue, for they loved human praise more than the praise of God. Now, God is blinding the Jews as a nation. Why are some of them believing? Well, I already told you. Some of them are believing because they have faith in God. They've already put their faith in Jehovah. They're following the the righteous shall live by faith, Habakkuk. Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Faith has always been the means by which we please God. Without faith, it is impossible for you to please God. And the reason why some were believing is because they'd already placed their faith in God, and God was... God was leading them. They they recognized Jesus as God. They knew it. And that's why they believed. Many were believing because they weren't being hardened. They were men and women of faith, okay? They were men and women of faith. But notice here that it says even the rulers were believing. Some of the rulers were believing. But then this doesn't seem to be necessarily a good thing because look at what it says next. It says they were unwilling to acknowledge him publicly for fear of the fellow Jewish leaders that they would kick them out of the the Jewish community. So they would believe in Jesus, and John's indicting them for this. They would believe in Jesus, but he says they love the affirmation of men more than they love the praise of God or the affirmation of God. So the question to ask yourself is this, what did they believe? What did it mean that they believed? Well, it seems obvious that they believed that Jesus came from God. It seems obvious that they believe the things that Jesus was saying about being the light of the world, etc., that he speaks for God. It seems that they believe that, but they were unwilling to follow Jesus. They were unwilling to, when Jesus is contradicting the world in which he lived, they're unwilling to follow Jesus in contradiction to everyone else. So here's just a couple of points to, to make this real in our lives. Here's my takeaway of that first part of the text. All right, here's, here's the first thing. God God retains the right to blind you, to harden you, to keep you from saving faith, and it's his judgment. Now, that might be hard for some of you to accept, but it's, it's, it's what the text is saying. God retains the right to blind you, to, to make it so that your hardened heart is, is encased in cement, and you cannot believe In Romans chapter 9, the Jewish objector to what Paul is saying, that God is hardening the Jews' heart, he says, that's not fair. That's not fair. And and basically, Paul says back, God retains the right to be your judge. God retains the right to judge. And if you continue to harden your heart and resist his will, you may find yourself already judged by God. And you may find your heart hardened by God. 
Listen, I want to say it again. You are not born hardened to the gospel. Young people, don't let your hearts grow hard. You millennials, you young married couples, don't let your hearts grow hard as you get older. Keep your heart tender towards the Lord. Walk in that faith that you have in the Lord in your young years. To the Jews, Jesus, or God would say this. You remember, they come out of Egypt. And they come out of Egypt, and what happens to them? Not a rhetorical question. What happens to them when they come out of Egypt? Not a rhetorical question. They start to complain. They reject the Lord. And what happens to every adult that comes out of Egypt? They all die, right? God kills them. God kills them. And this is what he says over and over throughout the history after that. He says, do not be like they were at Meribah, where you, they hardened their hearts against me. And now, man, I would say to the, the, the takeaway for us is do not harden your hearts. And some of you, God is calling you. Some of God is speaking to you. And you are hardening your heart. And you're not listening to what the Lord is saying. Your ears are closed because you've hardened them. Listen, if, if, if anything is penetrating right now, do not continue to harden your heart. But, but listen to the Lord, lest it be too late for you. Lest it be too late. And the second thing is let's not be like the rulers of Jesus' day who believed. They knew the truth in their hearts, but they would not follow Jesus. Let's not be like them. Listen, everyone. I mean, I, I love this world that I live in. I, you know, I love my life. I love you. I love my house. I love, I, 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 love, I love this world. But this is temporary, and the kingdom of God is coming. And listen, I'm not preaching to you pie in the sky. I'm telling you that the glory of God is coming in the kingdom of Jesus. It's going to be on this earth too, by the way, lest we forget that. It's going to be on this earth, and Jesus is going to rule and reign. Let's, let's not live with all our apples in, in this world's bucket. That, that's, what, that's what they did. That's what they said. They, we believe, but, you know, we prefer right now to, to all that God has planned in the future. And there's coming a day when God is going to establish his kingdom on earth, and we're going to be invited to be a part of it forever and ever and ever. Statistically, only one out of 20 of us share our faith. And I'm not trying to beat us up, okay? I'm really not trying to beat us up. But are we any different from the rulers? Are we any different from the rulers when... when we, we, we don't talk about Jesus. We, we, you know, we follow Jesus in this building, but outside, out there, we, we're not so keen to, to make him known or to live our lives where we're, we're just letting everyone know, hey, my life's about following Jesus. We believe Jesus is the savior of the world. We believe he's my, our savior. And yet there's a sense in which we just maybe uh, just sort of keep him secret practically. I mean, that's really what we're doing. We're sort of keeping him secret. Why? Is it, because we, is it because we want the glory of men? Is it because we want people to like us and not think we're weird? And, you know, I, hey, listen, I'm non-confrontational. I'm way too non-confrontational. I'm a wimp. 
I would much rather take, I would much rather take it myself than say anything to you. But, but the truth of the matter is, guys, you know, we need to stand up for the Lord and we need to, and, and I don't mean me mean, but we, we need to be, we need to not worry about the fact that if I speak for Jesus, it's somewhat confrontational. If I call and, and I say, this is, this is truth, as you'll see in just a moment, if I say this is truth and you don't believe it, you know, I, I can't back down. I need to speak for the Lord. I need to speak up. Here's just a thought. The unbelieving world out there does not care what we believe if, if all we ever do is live it in these walls. In other words, that's what's happening in our nation. Do you understand that? In other words, we're, we're, being excluded from, we're being excluded from the marketplace of ideas out there because we're supposed to keep it in here. And it's really easy to keep it in here. You love me. You're on the same team. I can talk about it. Listen, it's out there. It's out there. I need to speak up and love Jesus out there. And my life needs to reflect Jesus out there all the time. Passion for him and passion for his truth. I just came back from the Muslim world. You know, and in the Muslim world, then there's churches. There's churches all in the Muslim world. Two of the places I went, predominantly Muslim, we have church buildings there, lots of them. One, one place we have one, or no, we had, let me see, 10. Another place we have, we have lots of churches. You know, you find the storefronts and all. And here's the deal. Here's the deal. You can believe whatever you want. Just keep it in that building. You're not allowed to bring it out here, you know. And, 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 that's what, and that's what these leaders were doing. So here's my challenge from this first part. Let's, let's, let's not keep it here. Let's not keep it here. Let's live in such a way so that people see Jesus in us out there passionately, lovingly. That brings us to the closing verses of John chapter 12. Man, I'm almost out of time. Four, uh, verse 44. Jesus cried out, The one who believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And the one who sees me sees him who sent me, and I have come as light into the world, so that everyone who believes in me would not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and doesn't receive my sayings has this as his judge. The word I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own, my, but my Father himself who sent me has given me a command to say, to, and to say everything I've said. I know that his commandment is eternal life. So the things that I speak, I speak just as the Father has told me. Again, this, this, some people say this is Jesus' last sermon, his last public sermon. And John records it here for us. Others have said it's a summation of what Jesus has been teaching us so far. I, I'm not sure which of those it is. It doesn't matter. But notice this, Jesus cries out. Do you see the urgency? You hear the urgency in his, in his voice? This is not haphazard. This is not nonchalant. This is urgent. And somehow or another, we've got, to, we've got to capture, we've got to recapture the urgency of our message. The gospel has an expiration date on it. Did you know that? The expiration date is your death or it's the return of Jesus. So I guess there's an expiration date for every one of us, but there's a big expiration date for everything, and that's the return of Jesus. So there's an urgency about this. Let's, let's ask God to give us the urgency. There's four things that Jesus says real quickly. Number one, to trust in Jesus is to trust in God. The one who believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And the one who sees me sees him who sent me. 
John and I were in Istanbul, and I told you this, in the, in the city of Chalcedon. And the city of Chalcedon is where the church got together and formulated the statement that, that where, this is where the church came together, and they said, this is what we believe. This is who we believe Jesus is. He is fully man, and he's fully God. Fully man, fully God. And Paul said it like this. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Jesus claimed he and the Father were one and yet distinct persons. And so the Bible is really, really clear that there's one eternal being who is all exi- always existent, uh, doesn't need anything, okay? There's one God, but the Bible is just as equally clear that this one God is three distinct persons. He's an inseparable, he has an inseparable oneness, but he has distinct personhood. He is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. I know you all know this. But that is the message that Jesus is preaching to us, that God would irrevocably and forever become like you and me so that you and I could could know him. You know, one of the things that I learned being in these, these last two weeks, being in those countries, is that if you want to communicate with Turkish people, you've got to become like a Turkish person. You got to understand their culture and you got to speak their language. And if you want to speak with the Hindi, if you want to speak with the Indians, you got to learn Hindi. You got to learn their culture. And the same thing with the Emirates. Here's my point that's what Jesus did. Do you get that? That's what God did. This, this being who created everything that we knew would choose to become like us so that we could relate to him, so that we could understand him, so that he could communicate with us in a way that we would understand. He did that, but he did more than that. He came here so that he would die for us, so that he would become, he would, he would make a way for us to have eternal life. So here's, here's the first point of Jesus' message. If you've seen me, you've seen God. To trust in me is to trust in God. The Muslims look at Jesus, they don't see God. The Hindus look at Jesus, they don't see God. Or if they do see him as God, they see him as one of 300 million gods. I wonder this morning, who do you see when you see Jesus? Do you see God? When, when you read your New Testament or you listen to it or whatever, and, and, and do you see that that is the one and only creator? That is your God. Do you see that? Because that's what he claimed. And that's the message. Here's the second point of his message. Jesus is the light that illumines the truth for us. He dispels darkness, error, and untruth. In other words, in verse 46, Jesus said, I have come as the light of the world so that everyone who believes in me would not remain in darkness. Here, Jesus is using a metaphor of darkness and light, and he's truth in, it's truth and in, in untruth, or, or, or reality and non-reality. And here's what he's saying. He's saying, I've come so that people might know what is true, what is right. We live in such a pluralistic world, don't we? So much religious and moral thought in there. How do I know what's true? With such diversity all around it, how do I know what to believe, who to follow? Well, here's what Jesus claimed. Jesus claimed, I am the light to reveal to you what is true. And so he's the one that tells us what is true when our culture is changing its, its sexual mores and its business mores and its interpersonal relational mores. When all of that is changing, Jesus is our constant because he's the one who tells us what is true. Now you say to me, and I know you're thinking it, some of you anyway are thinking it, why should I believe that Jesus is the light? 
Why, why do I believe that he's the one that tells me what's true? Why didn't Buddha tell us what's true? Why didn't Muhammad tell us what is true? Why do we say Jesus told us what is true? Here's why. Because they tried to snuff out his light. They buried his light in the ground. They killed him and they put his light in the ground and they put a stone over it and they said, ha, his light's never going to shine anymore. And then three days later, his light burst forth. And that's the reason why Jesus is the light. I had this conversation with someone. We are the only faith that has an objective point in history. It's the resurrection of Jesus. Listen, if you determine Jesus didn't rise from the dead, you are wasting your time here. You might as well go home and eat, drink, live, be merry, whatever. I mean, you can follow Buddha or Muhammad or anybody else you want. But if Jesus isn't risen from the dead, you know, our faith rises or falls on that. We have an objective point in history where they killed Jesus. He was dead and they buried him and then he rose from the dead. He's alive. And that is the reason why he is the light of the world. And John 12, 35, again, from last week's text, Jesus answered, the light will be with you only a little longer. Walk while you have the light so the darkness doesn't overtake you. The one who walks in darkness doesn't know where he's going. While you have the light, believe in the light so that you may become children of the light. Not only, not only does the light show us the way, but the light makes us light. Makes me a light. I'm a light. I want to be a light. I want to be a shiny light so that people can see Jesus in me, so people can see the truth in me. And that's what Jesus says. Number three, real quickly, Jesus came to save us, not to judge us. Verse 47, this is his message. If anyone hears my words and doesn't keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. Jesus did not come here when he came here as as this agent of destroying us. He came as an agent of saving us. He said it clearly so many times. I've come to rescue you. I've come to save you. John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And don't make the mistake. Um, don't make the mistake that because Jesus came the first time to save us, he's not coming to judge us. He is coming to judge us. He's coming back to Judges, Acts chapter 10, verse 42. And he ordered us to preach to the people to solemnly testify that this, the one who has been, this is the one that has been appointed by God as judge of the living and the dead. And I got more verses. 2 Corinthians 5, 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. I mean, Jesus is coming back as judge. But when he came at that point, when the light was shining, he was saying, I'm not the judge. I'm not here as judge. I'm here as savior. Embrace me as savior. And then he says, what will judge us? Verse 48, the one who rejects me and does not receive my sayings has this as his judge. The word I've spoken will judge him on that last day. Listen, you are in perilous position sitting in this church this morning. For on that judgment day, the very words that Jesus is saying to us today will rise up and judge us if we have not come to faith in him. Jesus warned them, rejecting me now, you know, you'll have to answer me to me later for that. Do you get that? Seriously, do you get that? Do you get that Jesus came for you? Came for you. Came for you, Anna. Came for you, Lou. He came for me. He came for you. You know, think about this for just a second. It's not just, I mean, it's a corporate thing. God, God saves all who are in Christ, but 
But he came for me. And he came for you personally. Mm. But he's coming again. This time it's going to be the judge. And the last thing, the heart of God is to give you eternal life. Verse 49, for I have not spoken my own words, but the Father sent me, has given me what to say. He's commanded me, and I've said everything uh, that he told me to say. I'm paraphrasing verse 50. I know that his commandment is eternal life. So the things that I speak, I speak just as the Father has told me. I speak the words of God, Jesus said, and I know that word is eternal life. The heart of God is to rescue you from your coming death and give you eternal life. That's what he says over and over and over. Wages of your sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life. Now I must admit, I'm, I'm self-conscious about saying this yet again. And it's been, it's been, it's been the theme of John from the beginning. So I'm self-conscious about saying it yet another Sunday, right? But, but what's greater than that? What's greater than that? Paul says, if our hope is in this life only and not in the resurrection, if our hope is in this life only, we of all men are most to be pitied. What's, what's greater than, than, than having eternal life, that, that living forever? Adam chose the fruit. He reaped the consequences of his actions, and the consequences of his actions were that he died. God said, the day you eat of that fruit, you'll die. Literally, what he said was, dying, you will die. He didn't mean that, that in the very second that he ate the fruit that he would die any more than if I say to you, if you overeat, you're going to get fat. I don't mean that you, you're going to get fat and you're not going to blow up fat the minute you overeat. But if you continue to overeat, you're going to, you're going to get fat in the same way that if you eat that fruit, you will die. And then he removed the tree of life and they died. But it's not just them. It's all of us. All of us die. We inherited death from Adam, Romans 5 says. It's appointed for man once to die and then the judgment. But the promise of God is that we can resurrect unto eternal life with him forever. And that's the message that Jesus is giving. He wants you to live. He doesn't want you to die. He wants you to live. How, how do we receive this gift of eternal life. I'm sure all of us know it, but, but let me just say it anyway. The way you receive this gift of eternal life is to love and to trust your creator. Without faith, it's impossible to please him because the one who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. So the, the, the key this morning to, to receiving eternal life is trusting in the Savior, trusting in God, putting your faith in him. I'd like to ask you to bow your head, and I'd like to just ask you one more time. I've asked you many times, but I'd like to ask you one more time. Would today be the day that you would not harden your heart like at Meribah, and you would put your trust in the Creator, put your trust in Jesus, follow Jesus? I'd like to invite you to follow Jesus this morning, but as many as received Jesus, to them he gave the right to become the children of God. Thank you so much for listening this week. If you have any questions, you can email them to Pastor Jimmy at baconscastle.com. Also, check out our website at baconscastle.com to get to know us and see what God is doing locally here in Surrey. Be blessed. Thank you.